Today I wanted to complete what we started last week, the, the theology and philosophy of work. This is part two. Now last week we learned quite a few things and I just wanted to make sure you know that today maybe view it more as a lecture if you will, but I think that this is very important because what our culture dishes up for us, very important for us to make sure that the world doesn't eliminate meaning to you in this world. In other words, the system of this world doesn't abort meaning in your life. And one of the ways that the world is going to abort meaning from your life is by tampering with the way you view work. Every one of us work. For most part of our lives, we work. But work is now viewed as something that you do when you get into your car and you go out and you go and to somebody else's office and you work for them or you run your business somewhere. That's work. But really, when the Bible refers to work, it's uh, really viewing every single position in life, right? So, for instance, a grandma and a grandpa, grandparents, they have a position. And there is, there is a responsibility connected to that position. Uh, uh, a mom has a position, and there's a responsibility connected to the position. As a matter of fact, C.S. Lewis was the one who said, all work, all career paths exist in order to support that that career. Motherhood. Isn't that interesting? Think about it. Everybody gets into their cars and they go out and they go and earn money in order to support that career path right there. As, as we build families and lineage. So whatever, whatever position God has placed you in, that position has connected to a certain list of responsibilities that you have before God. And that is what we refer to when we refer to work, the theology of work. So last week we learned that God Himself established the pattern of work when He worked for six days. Then He rested from His work on the seventh day. He wasn't tired. He was done. We also learned that God made man to be a worker. When He created Adam, He designed him, He fashioned him to be a worker. God was the very first ever employer as He employed Adam and Eve to work tending and keeping the garden, being fruitful, multiplying, and subduing the earth. That was what God employed Adam and Eve to do. This follows, therefore, that from the very beginning, man's relationship with God was a working relationship where we were made to be responsible over certain things and accountable to God for that. God was a worker. He made Adam made man to be a worker. He delegated work to this man that he created. Then he held him accountable as a faithful steward over the work that was delegated to him. We also learned last week that God made work to be a blessing, not a curse. This world system wants you to think that work is a curse, is a burden. It's not a blessing. But God made it to be a blessing. Many people have this view that work is now something we do because of sin. Well, that's not true, because before sin, before sin, God worked. Before sin, Adam tended. He was to tend and keep the garden. So both Adam and God worked before sin ever came in. What really happened was when sin came in, this world that was very conducive to work became is it inconducive, unconducive, non-conducive? You get the point. <laughs> Suddenly now, the farmer has to push back against pests, crop failure due to pests, hail damage, floods, workers not showing up to harvest, drought, <laughs> all of the above. Suddenly now, we have to push back against this world that now is filled with thorns and weeds, wild animals that are now antagonistic toward us. This world is antagonistic. So now work that used to be without uh, um, the world pushing up against the work, now uh, it used to be easy. Now man will work with the sweat of his brow. He will make a living. 
Somebody said, and I believe Andre reminded me of that, that before sin, it was a garden. After sin, now we were farmers. <laughs> and there's a big difference. Work redeems the earth in part, not completely. Work redeems the earth in part, not, not completely though. You see, as God's saving grace redeems a man's soul, so work was God's means by which man was now going to redeem in part the earth. I put it to you in this context and you'll understand it. Men are sweating less and less as technology develops more and more. 500 years ago, it took 100 men with 100 cattle to plow a certain size of field, right? Today, you'll have one man climbing to his John Deere with his cup of coffee, his tumbler. He'll turn the air conditioner on, and then he'll shut his windows. He'll put some classical music on, and then with his power steering, he will cover as much, farm, as much ground in a half a day as what they did in a year, 500 years ago. So men are sweating less and less as technology is developed more and more because God uses work through, that men would work and so push back the curse that fell on the earth. Curse didn't fall on work. Curse fell on the earth. So work is a redeeming quality that God gave us. It's actually <clears throat> that God delegated to us. We also learned that God designed work so man could find joy in his work and enjoy the fruits of his labors, his labor. Ecclesiastes 5:19. Do you know that I just want to put this point in here? That when it says that man will find joy in his work, it's not saying that it's not a command that you have to enjoy your job. That's not what that command's saying. That is a promise, not a command. That's a promise saying God will enable you in this that when you have actually worked the right way, you will find joy. One of the greatest ways for anyone to find fulfillment is earned success. Earned success produces something that leisure could never do. Think about that. So that's what that verse is saying. God designed work in such a way that man could find joy in his earned success and enjoy the fruits of his labor. Ecclesiastes 5.19 Nobody as miserable as somebody who never does anything. Nobody as invigorated as somebody who's earned true success. So today I would like for us to move to part two as I outline two very important concepts of work. First, we will look at, I love this by the way, I totally geek out over this stuff, so please bear with me, okay? But I think that this is going to be tremendously helpful to every one of us, no matter what your station in life is whether you are a business owner, an employer, whether you are an employee, whether you are a teacher, you are part of the education system. You teach people. You teach kids. There's a tremendous amount of work and value connected to that position, whether you are a mom at home, um, uh, the person everybody else goes out to work for, to support, whether you are a, a, a grandparent, doesn't matter what your station in life is, I think this is going to be tremendously helpful. So first, we will look at five ways to worship God with work. Five ways to worship God with work. How do you worship God while driving that truck? How do you worship God while building, putting up drywall? How do you worship God in what you do? Secondly, we will look at five ways people idolize work. So I want to start by clarifying right off the bat that we have to realize something about terminology. We 
worship God when we glorify God. When you glorify God, that is a way of worshiping Him. Make sense? So we can interchange that in some way, to some degree, and say, I worship God as I glorify God, or because I glorify God, therefore I worship God. See that? But to glorify God, there's a word we can use for that. I glorify God when I reflect Him. I reflect who He is, and He is glorified in the earth. So to reflect God's character and God's character traits is to glorify God. To glorify God is to worship God. Therefore, when you act like God, you are worshiping God. Can you see this? Can you connect those dots? So to glorify God is to worship God, and to reflect God is to glorify God. Therefore, to reflect Him is to worship Him. And then also I want to say that to reflect God is basically to imitate Him, to love as He loved. I imitate Him in love. I forgive. When I forgive, I'm imitating the God who forgave. When I'm kind, I'm, imitate, I'm imitating the God who is kind to me. So when I imitate God, I'm reflecting who He is. When I reflect who He is, I'm glorifying Him in the earth around me. And when I glorify Him, I am worshiping Him. So to take those steps all the way back is when I imitate God, I am worshiping God. Can you see that? Okay. When you imitate God, you are worshiping God. All right. Five ways to worship God with work. The first way is that we worship God in our work when we imitate His work ethic. We worship God in our jobs our careers, or our station in life, our responsibilities, when we imitate His work ethic. When you are a mom at home imitating His work ethic, you are worshiping Him in what you do. That is worship. When you are an employee, uh, you are, and you imitate God's work ethic. You are worshiping God right there. You have to connect those dots. Why do you think people are so burnt out? Is because they, they have useless work. They find no eternal value in what they do. It's totally secular. It's not sacred at all. And remember last week we talked about how Martin Luther came and he changed everybody's view on work. And he elevated secular work to be equal to what they used to see as, sec as sac sacred work. And he said, everything is sacred. Because none of what we do causes us to be justified before God. None of what we do. It's faith alone that we are justified before God. Therefore, from now on, everything we do, we do for His glory not for our salvation. So, the question that we have to ask ourselves is, when we see God, He worked, and after every day, He said, it is good. And then when He was done, on the sixth day, He turned around, He looked, and He says, it is very good. And then He rested. The question is, can you do the same at the end of your day? Can you say, it was a faithful effort. I faithfully applied myself. It was a diligent and honest day's work today. Things didn't all go right. This is a fallen world. Things didn't work out necessarily the way I planned. But this was a valiant effort. It is good. It was a good effort. Can you say that? If the answer is yes, then family, you reflected God's work ethic, which means you have glorified something about God, His work ethic, and then you have worshiped God with work. Number two, we worship God in our work when we imitate His character while at work. This is a big one. 
We worship God in our work when we imitate or reflect His character while at work. Again, God is glorified when we reflect Him, when we imitate Him. In Ephesians 5 verse 1 it says, Therefore be imitators of God, dear children. For instance, God is glorified when we imitate Him in showing kindness to our employees or to our employers, when we show kindness to our customers, or when we show kindness to vendors, just as He has shown kindness to us. When we imitate Him as we have experienced Him, we are reflecting Him, therefore glorifying Him, therefore worshiping Him. God is glorified when we imitate Him in being faithful in marriage, in parenting, but also faithful on the job to our boss, the one we don't like. It doesn't say like your boss and enjoy your job. It says be faithful to God no matter who you work for. And when you've, had, when you've, when you've given yourself and you've applied yourself and you can turn around and say it is good, there'll be much joy. Because the greatest joy that you can get from work is earned success. You see, God is glorified when we imitate Him in loving everybody, including our enemies, the guy on the other, in the office across the hallway from yours. <laughs> you see, when you focus on treating people with godly character while on the job, especially your enemies, then you have glorified aspects of God and therefore you have worshipped God with work. So the first two, we see that we worship God with our work when we imitate His work ethic. We worship God in work when we imitate His character while at work. Number three, we glorify God, we worship God in our work when we display His creativity. He's the Creator God. Nobody like Him. We display His creativity in many ways in things like designing, in building, inventing, creating new products. We have to come to the place where we can actually take something like that, creating a new product, and connect it to an eternal value or a sacred work because we're doing it before God. So we display His creativity in many ways in designing and building and inventing, creating new products. Uh, building management systems or building teams, building companies and offering services that are helpful to other people. <clears throat> the world is trying to tell you that people who make money are always evil. They don't deserve that money. Well, then stop buying from them. The reason you paid $5 for that item is because you wanted that item more than what you wanted to keep your $5. So, what happens is you go to the bakery and you see that, you see that bread and you go like, oh, wow, I'm going to give you $5 for the bread that you made because this is what, this is what I really want and I want to give it to my family, my wife. So, yeah, I'd, I'd rather, I don't want to keep the 5 bucks. I'd rather give you the 5 bucks for the bread. Guess what? Here, in work, God designed the concept of loving your neighbor because now that baker wins because he wanted the $5 more than, when he, than he wanted that bread that he baked. I wanted the bread more than, when I, than I wanted my $5. And so we exchanged. He's blessed because he got what he worked for and I'm blessed and I got something with the means by which I worked, <laughs> what I got for working, right? So work is a tremendously sacred thing. Because not only can we worship God with it, we also love our neighbors through work. And in this, the invisible hand, in this, from the believers, from scriptures, capitalism was born. Wow. And so much progress came. And the more progress that came, the more the curse that is on the earth is pushed back. And men now sweat less 
and less and less. Men have more and more and more. As that man is driving his John Deere again. Because now, so much more is coming from this very beautiful earth that God has given us. Now you go like, oh my gosh, he didn't mention capitalism, did he? Connected it to the scriptures. Yes, I did. Now, I'm not saying it's perfect. And neither is almost anything that we design. But it came from somewhere, right? And it's been a tremendous blessing because now I can bless the baker and the baker can bless me. And I'm so glad that he's there and he is so glad that I am there. I support him. He supports me. The one hand washes the other, and community works together as we all prosper at the same time. Now, of course, <clears throat> you go like, oh, capitalism is evil. Well, compared to socialism, no. Oh, capitalism, there's so much evil involved with it, I know. So, so is it with marriage. You want to say that there's nothing evil that happens in marriages across this country? A lot of evil happens. Does that make marriage no longer God's idea? Of course it was God's idea. But we have a tendency of destroying and, and defiling the things that God has so graciously offered us. So when we display creativity in all these different ways, we are displaying God's creativity because we are made in His image, but we're also made in His likeness. And we have been called to reflect Him in His likeness. And that comes from our God, our Creator God. So when you design, when you invent, when you build, when you produce, and I'm talking about even the mom at home making a brand new dinner that we've never tasted before, or one we've tasted every single day for the last seven days. You know, it doesn't matter. When something is being created, we are reflecting our God, and we're not only when we are not reflecting ourselves, then we are worshiping God in work. When we do these things to reflect self, we are not worshiping. When we do these things to reflect God, we are worshiping God. All right, number four. We glorify God in our work when we display His wisdom, when we display His knowledge, His skill, and intelligence. We, when you imitate wisdom, knowledge, skill, and intelligence, you are worshiping God in your work, when you display this in your work. I'll give you an example. Let's say, for instance, imagine with me that the original man, Adam, now he's already in the fall and he's already sweating as he works the land. He's already trying to farm in a fallen earth. And he walks into the doors here and he stands on stage here. Can I have this bottle of water quick? And uh, thank you, Tina. And um, he's dressed appropriately. And uh, anyway, so, okay, don't worry about it. He comes and he, uh, he says, hey, what, what is this? And I say, oh, Adam, this is, this is a bottle of water. He goes, what? I'm like, yeah, do you want to take a sip? Take a sip. And he does this. He says, wow, you don't have to go to a river? A fountain, a lake, a waterfall to get water. You just have it right here. Yeah. It's so clean. Yeah. How did you do that? He says, well, I, he says, how did you do that? We say, well, we, we, we make bottles and then we purify water. We put it in here and now we can just walk around with it. We don't have to go to rivers. We don't have to take these big barrels down to our wells and drop it and put it on our shoulders and walk a half a day to get back to, the, to our little house. We just 
walk around with water now and we just drink it. Readily available wherever you want to go. He goes, wow, this is amazing. What is this? What is this stuff? And you go, well, Adam, it's plastic. Where did you get it? Go, well, okay. God put these reservoirs of this black fluids in the earth, big reservoirs, and we drill. And we get there and we pull it out. It's called oil. And then from the oil, we create the plastic. From the plastic, we create the bottle. And then we put the water in it. Adam throws his hands up in the air and he says, Praise God. Praise God. How this earth is being redeemed. That we can subdue this earth that God has given us. That's amazing. And then he looks up and he goes, but it's supposed to be dark outside. What are these lights? Are these stars? He goes, no, no, no. These are just bulbs, light bulbs, Adam. He goes, wow. And they, they push back the darkness and we get to see things at night? Yes, Adam. We, we can see at night now. Wow. How, how did that? Where'd you get that? Who made that? You go like, well, Adam, a guy by the name Thomas, but Edison, but don't worry about him. Long story. Well, tell me how this works. Okay, well, the way this works is we go back down to those reservoirs that we drill, and we pull back some of that black fluids, yucky oil, and we use it to generate what's called electricity, and we put it in copper that we also found in God's earth, by the way, and we send it all the way here, and it, it makes the lamp burn, okay? <laughs> wow! And then what we do is sometimes we now have solar panels that we just take God's sun, and we do the same thing, or we have wind turbines, and we just do the same thing, or we just have like water tur in, in a river, water turbines, something, we do the same thing. It's like, wow! Adam throws his hands up in the air. He says, praise God. And he looks at my feet and he goes, what are those? What are those brown things on your feet? I'm like, well, these are shoes, Adam, because there are thorns on the earth. And now, you know, I have these. And what, what are they made of? I'm like, well, plastic and also from the earth and and." Yeah, leather from, or, you know, materials. And, and he throws his hands up in the air and he goes, well, praise God, that is amazing. How, how God has through his wisdom, his intellect and skill that he has invested in you, given you the ability to develop this earth and, and so push back against the curse that this earth is under. Praise God. Who did this? Well, people who work, design these things. So, so folks, we, we realize that when we see and experience these most basic things, and also when we see the more advanced, modern, developed technologies, we should worship God. Praise God. I have family all around the world. Praise God. Adam looks at this. He says, Adam, you can talk to Eve if you want. She's at the Woodfield Mall shopping in 9 o'clock at night for shoes <laughs> and handbags. <laughs> and, and what is this? It's a cell phone. Uh, how does this work? Well, there's a chip in there, a computer chip, a computer chip. What is a computer chip made out of? Well, sand. They take sand, create glass. No way. No. Praise God. That's amazing. They take God's sand, and they make glass with it, and they turn it into computer chips, and they talk to people around the world. That's amazing. Can you see this? Can you see how God, through man's 
work has been able to push back in the darkness of this world and the curse of this world. And men are now working with less and less sweat as the earth has developed more and more so. Because remember, there are two graces. It's the saving grace of God that saves your soul. The doctrines of grace explains that clearly. But then there's a common grace which says, and God makes the rain fall upon the right, the just and the unjust alike. God will make things grow on their farms too. God will cause the whole entire world to develop as men apply themselves using God's wisdom, displaying God's knowledge, displaying God's skill and His intellect. Because when, just think about this, <laughs> when we went down into the ground, we pulled oil out, we pulled coal out, and we turned it into whether it be plastic or we used it to create light. Do you for a moment think that God put that in there in those reservoirs without having a without having any idea that that's the potential of what he put in those reservoirs. Of course he knew it. That's why he put it there. That's why we have to have these pipelines and make them run across the country so we can, have, we can pay less for our gasoline right now. <laughs> so this is what God said. Subdue the earth, right? Do you for a moment think that God put all of that copper, iron, to make tools with, and now men can use tools because tool is an extension of the worker. Now he can use his tool, his John Deere, and he can do a hundred times more in one day than a hundred men can do in a whole year. Tools is the extension of the worker, and God put iron and copper and everything we needed in the earth so that we can pull it out, develop it with his intellect, his wisdom, his skill, his work ethic, and create the tools we need in order to develop more of course God knew when He put copper into the earth that we would need it. When He put oil in the earth that we would need it. When He put coal in the earth that we would need it. Of course God knew all of these things. And now when we, when we make the shoe to cover the foot, we are thinking God's thoughts after Him. He's already, he already knew this. He already saw these lights long before, we, long before Thomas Edison came about. So we can, we can know God's thoughts after He's already had them. And so we are displaying God. We are reflecting who He is. And when we do so with the right attitude, we worship God in work. And we should worship God in all things just like Adam would, even at a water bottle or a shoe or anything. You know, I always read this verse and it never really... <clears throat> did anything for me in my heart when I read it because I couldn't quite see the depth of it. But in 1 Corinthians 10.31, it says this, Therefore, whether you eat or drink, whether you eat <laughs> or drink, or whatever you do, call Eve in the Whitfield Mall, or family on the other side. Whatever you do, do all things for the glory of God. Isn't that wonderful? Do all things for the glory of God. Number five. We worship God when we add value to things in the world as a reflection of God's creativity. We worship God when we add value to things in the world as, as a reflection of God's glory. His creativity. You see, every single thing God created added value to the earth. When He created the sun, there was value added to the earth. When He created the stars, there was value added to the earth. When He created animals, value was added. When He created trees, value was added. When He created rivers, value was added. He added value by creating things of value. Every time God created something, value was added to the earth. Now, <clears throat> take for example a person in Africa, a young man in Africa, he, purchase a, he purchases a piece of a plank from a store and let's say he pays $5 for it. He takes this piece of plank home and he starts carving it out and he starts applying his creative 
skills. And he turns that straight $5 piece of plank into a beautiful tray. And the handles are elephants, and you have different animals on the sides, and there are all these beautiful aesthetics that he's added to this tray, and now it's a beautiful tray. And then he goes to the marketplace, and he sells this tray for $50. That man, it's a fantastic, phenomenal process. That man just created, because he paid $5 for the plank, he applied his creative abilities, and now he turned that plank into a tray worth $50. He just created $45 of value in the earth that didn't exist before. He just created that in the earth, and it didn't exist before, but now there it is. It's almost like Tina. My wife is, is the greatest cook. I love her food. And when we go eat out, my wife and myself and my two kids, it doesn't matter where we go. I get that bill and I go, what? For that piece of chicken? <laughs> no ways. It doesn't matter where you go. You always look at the bill and you go like, unbelievable that I paid that much money for that food. Then you can, go to, you can go to a store and pick up a nice piece of steak for like $9, give it to my wife, and, and she would create value beyond what that restaurant can create for a fraction of the price. For a fraction of the price, she created a tremendous amount of value. And I'm just telling you that whether it be teaching your kids at home or whether it be making food or whether it be cleaning, do you know how much cleaning services cost? <laughs> it doesn't matter, you know, your station in life, your responsibility is adding value. And when you add value in this world that didn't exist before you put on the stove and you made that, that wonderful dinner, when you add value, you are doing what God does. You are imitating Him and you're reflecting His creativity. Where did that $45 come from? That man from Africa created the $45. That's what he did. Again, capitalism is a good thing, not a bad thing. And this is where we got it from scriptures. See it this way. If you are manufacturing and you create the same thing over and over and over and over again, you are still adding to the total value of things that exist in the world. You are still adding value or to the total value on earth. You may not produce a product, but you may pro you know, provide a service, and that work also adds value to the world. You pay your, greens, your, your garden services because they add value to your world. You tip the waitress because she added value to your life. And so therefore, when your work adds to the total value of things on earth and to humans, and when you intend for your work to, to bless humans with the value that you added, then you have imitated God in the way that you have worshipped Him in work. Now, whether we look at a plastic bottle made from oil or shining light bulb made from solar panels, wind turbine, uh, turbines or water turbines or petroleum or coal, a pair of shoes made from material plastic or where we look at glasses or a computer chip made from sand, when we look at all, that, all of that, we recognize that through God's gift of intellect and wisdom and skill and innovation, we are able to imitate God in His creation and know His thoughts after Him. So we will never be like God, creating something out of nothing. Okay? We'll never be like God, creating something out of nothing. But in a way, we will reflect Him by creating something out of what He's given us. Sand, oil, coal, copper, <laughs> steel. So we conclude that we worship God in work. We conclude this section that we worship God in work. We worship God in work when we imitate Him in having great work ethic. Can you please say, be diligent on the job? That is you worshiping God. We conclude that we worship God in work when we imitate Him in being creative on the job. Creative on the job. Could you please say, could you please say be productive? 
When you are productive, you are worshiping God. You're not just a bump on a log expecting to get paid every two weeks. You're actually being productive. Number three, we worship God and work when we imitate Him in displaying His character at work. In other words, when you treat everybody on the job with godly character, displaying patience and kindness and love and compassion. Number four, we worship God on, the, on, on our jobs when we imitate Him in displaying His wisdom, His knowledge, His skill and innovation. In other words, could you say show progress? Your second day on the job, you should be better at your job than your first day on the job. Your third day on the job, you should be better than what you were on your second day on the job. Your 175th day, you ought to be better at your job than your 174th day. You ought to progress. You ought to improve. Show progress on the job. This is the way we worship God. Number five, we worship God and work when we imitate Him in adding to the value of things in the earth. Can everybody please say, be profitable? Now, my wife might not be out there working, but she's profitable in many ways. I don't have to have a nanny. I don't have to have teachers for my kid. I don't have to have cleaners in my house. I don't have to have a cook. I don't have to go out to, uh, out to, to restaurants all the time. There's a lot of profit in my children being edu educated. <laughs> There's not just profit to me, but to them. So we worship God and work when we imitate Him and adding to the value of things in the earth. And so we have to learn to become profitable. If you read uh, Proverbs 31, the Proverbs 31 woman is, is extremely profitable. Profit is a good thing, folks. Prophet glorifies God. You worship God in being profitable. That is not a sin. That is not a bad thing. That is a good thing. It's a God thing. It's a moral thing. Now, if you profit by stealing, that is not a good thing. And just because somebody profits doesn't mean they are oppressing somebody else. Just because somebody profits doesn't mean they stole what they've got. No, no, no. They created something valuable enough for somebody else to, to part with their $1,000 and get this because they value this more than the $1,000 that they're giving you for your product or for your services. And so we bless one another. I want to use our last five minutes, ten minutes as we switch gears and ask the question, When does work become an idol? When does work become an idol? So when it comes to work, uh, all we hear today is the importance of social assistance, government handouts, welfare, people demanding increase in minimum wage, and people drive, driving the idea of basic universal income. Are you all familiar with what that is? Basic universal income. Now, if somebody is disabled, of course, they cannot work. But that is totally different from the person that Paul's talking to when he says, if you do not work, you will not eat. Because if you, if you can work and you refuse to, you should not eat, right? Now, if you hear of these things listed, whether it be government assistance and handouts and, and um, incentivizing single mothers and so forth, when you hear all these things, you've got to realize that this all stems from one thing, and that is idolizing work, idolizing work. So when does work become an idol? Well, work becomes an idol, number one, when a person sees work as a necessary evil. When a person sees work as a necessary evil. You see, these people say things like, I have to work hard so that I can eventually settle down. I need to pull up my sleeves right now and work so I can enjoy time off, find leisure on an island far, far away from here. Work as a necessary evil because without it I have nothing and I won't be able to retire and find leisure. Or when somebody says something like, I work for the weekends. When they say that, you've got to realize that there is an idol there. And I want to point out the idol. The idol there, when you see work, I have to do this because I want to go and enjoy myself. When, you, when that person says these kind of things, 
and they see work as a necessary evil, then what is their idol? Leisure. Leisure is the idol. Realize that there's a difference between leisure and rest. When a person has leisure in mind, he's not thinking about resting. He's thinking about being entertained, finding pleasure. Rest, on the other hand, is a completely different story and concept. Now, of course, there's, great, there's a time and a place for everything in life, correct? There is a time and a place for leisure. There is a time and a place for enjoyment. There is a time and a place for entertainment. And you can enjoy some of the fruits of your labor in that sense. Of course, there's a time and a place for all of that. There's a time and a place for everything under the sun, even leisure and entertainment. But that does not mean a person's end goal for work should be leisure. That's not your end goal for work. The person who sees work as a necessary evil, that person has an overreaching purpose or overarching purpose for work, and that is to find time off, to, find vaca to go on vacation, to, be, to get to the weekend, retire, and find leisure in this world. So the conclusion here is, when I see work as a necessary evil, then leisure has become my idol. Now, leisure is not an evil, but when work's ultimate goal is to produce that leisure, then leisure is an idol. I work not to glorify God, not to worship God, not to, not to, not to reflect God. No, I work because I want to have leisure and entertainment. Can you see that, folks? Okay. Number two, work becomes an idol when the goal of work is to create a workless utopia. I have to put this in here because it's becoming a bigger, bigger thought and it's creeping into the church in a big way. But this concept of a workless utopia was reinforced by, in modern times by Karl Marx. It's an ancient idea. But um, in 1845, Karl Marx, of course, writes the Communist Manifesto. And in it, his rally cry is what? Workers of the world unite. Workers of the world unite. So Marx basically preached that wage labor is oppressive. Like today, everything is oppressive. Wage labor is oppressive. And that's why these people today that are attempting to deconstruct the whole entire structure of the world because they feel like, well, anybody that has to do anything has been oppressed by whoever they have to do it for, no matter what the payment. Well, it comes from this idea that wage labor is oppressive, that we needed to work towards a workless utopia where we would do nothing but read books and eat out in restaurants and go fishing and lay on our beach towel all day long. That's all. Nobody work. That's all we do. And then you ask them, okay, well, who's running that restaurant you go to every day? And who made, <laughs> who printed the book that you read? without any responsibility in life. Where'd you get that towel from? But he, Marx, was certain that this workless utopia was just, right, fair, and moral. When somebody holds this view of work, that labor is oppressive to the worker, that labor is unfair to the worker, that labor is unjust to the worker, that there's no justice for the workers of this world, guess what has been turned into an idol here? The worker. So the conclusion is, when I long for and dream of a workless utopia, a.k.a. basic universal income, then the worker here has become the idol. Number three, when work, when, uh, work becomes an idol, when success in work is the key to success in life. When people see success in work as having a successful life. That person has now started idolizing and worshiping something other than God with work. These people say things like, if I can only succeed in my career, then I will have a successful life. Man, if I can only get that next pro promotion, I'll be set. Well, man, if I can just get that new, that, that, that new job with X amount of money per month, then everything else will work out. Many times you'll find these, pe these people to have broken marriages, runaway children, and sick bodies. And the reason is because they have taken the good gift of work and they've turned it, work itself, into an idol. Work. When it succeeds, I am successful. When it fails, I am a failure. 
So the conclusion when I, is when I equate a successful life with a successful career, then I have turned work into an idol. Idol worship is the problem of this age. I must add, very often people say, uh, wow, you work way too many hours. You, you're turning that job of yours into an idol. Well, the amount of hours you spend on the job doesn't determine whether you have turned your job into an idol or not. You idolize your work when you see yourself as a failure because your project at work failed. Therefore, I'm a failure. You see your life as a, as a, as a failure because you didn't meet your annual budget. My life is a complete failure. Or you think you are a complete success because you had a successful year on the job. Anybody who thinks that way has made work itself their idol. Now, there is truth in the fact that a successful life does succeed at work, but success li successful life is not primarily measured by a man's success on the job. Now, you get what I'm saying. If work is the primary measuring stick for success, then work has become your idol. And then work becomes an idol number four when work is what produces money and money brings wealth. If that's your context, work brings in money, and more money makes me wealthy. Working more brings more money, and more money will make me more wealthy. Two jobs. Working two jobs will bring me twice as much money, and twice as much money will make me twice as wealthy. If that is your context, the truth is, work does give you money, and money does produce a certain element of wealth. But to look at work strictly from a biblical perspective, work serves God's purposes, not ours. Work serves God's purposes. Work, if accurately viewed, glorifies God, as we just explained. Work, accurately applied, is a way of loving our neighbors, as I've explained. Work enables us to provide for our families and be responsible before God for the families He's given us. Work brings reward into our lives and it brings fulfillment into our lives. Work enables us to worship God in our giving. We couldn't give if we were waiting for the government to give to us. Work enables us to create things that did not exist in the earth for the benefit of other people. What I'm saying is that work does much more than simply generate money in order to make you wealthy. Generate more money to make yourself more wealthy. When the end result of work is purely more money and a tool to make one wealthy, at that point you know that money has become that person's idol. So we've seen many different idols here. We've seen that the first idol is the idol of leisure. The second one is the idol of the, the worker is the idol. Third is work itself is the idol. And then fourth, we see that money has become the idol. And then finally... Number five, work becomes an idol when the purpose of work is self-fulfillment. Oh, that job would just, that job would just fulfill. Oh, I would love that job. You see, we don't, we don't do it. And this is a new thing. We, we sell the idea that you have to do what you love, then you won't work one day in your life. <laughs> no, you do what you must, and then you glorify God in being responsible as a good steward. How about it? Right? So when work becomes an idol, or work becomes an idol when the purpose of work is self-fulfillment. Again, hard work that succeeds is fulfilling to the individual that succeeded at his job. But to see the sole purpose of work as a means to self-fulfillment makes self the idol. Now, everything is about me being happy. So the conclusion here is when I see work as primarily something I do for myself, then I idolize self. So all these idols, whether it be leisure, whether it be the worker, whether it be work itself, whether it be money, or whether it be self, we have to have those in front of us and make sure that we do not get deceived into giving ourselves at worshiping any one of those altars. And when we are able to, ab to abort that from ourselves, we can turn to God and we can worship Him in our work and be fulfilled that way.
Amen? I have a closing challenge for you. Colossians 3, 24. We read it last week. It says slaves, but I want to have a different emphasis on it today. Slaves. Paul goes straight down to the bottom of the rank. Slaves, even you. Obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you to curry favor with them, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. I obey my employer with sincerity of heart. Why? Because I reverence God. I honor God. I am not dishonorable. In other words, being insincere and disobedient to your boss is dishonorable to God. Because remember, you reflect Him. You reflect Him where you are. You even love your enemies. You reflect God. Verse 23, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Again, look at that. Whatever you do, even slaves, work at what you do with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. That's why. <laughs> Eli's here. I remember, I remember this, um, these two supervisors. He and I used to work together and at, at this, you know the store. And uh, you all know the store, but I'm not going to say it. So these two supervisors <laughs> used to uh, really love getting on my case. So I was doing some hard labor very early in the morning with Eli at 5 in the morning. And at one stage, him and I both work on the construction team. And we did midnight shift. So we would work from, from what, 7 at night uh, until 5 in the morning. Not a good idea. Anyway, so these two supervisors of mine would come around every two minutes, four minutes, seven minutes, and they would count the boxes on my cart, and they would go, <laughs> I can't say what they say, of course not, but they would F-bomb me out tremendously, you know, and they would get on my case really bad, like, is this, you still got all the same boxes, man, and, and I'm like, hey, are you, having, you look like you're having a tough day, <laughs> you know, and uh, so about three months later, they called me to the garden section, and they said, you know, hey, we were wondering, we were wondering, um, We've been trying to like press every button and you haven't, you haven't lost, you haven't gotten angry. Like, why don't you get angry? And I thought of quoting this verse. Work at it as if, work at it with all of your heart as working to the Lord. Because what you do, you do for the Lord. I'm not doing it for them in the first place. I'm doing it for the Lord. And if I was doing it for them, them cussing me out, would have gotten me really angry because after everything I've done and you cussed me out. But since they didn't matter, <laughs> it didn't matter. You see, wasn't doing it for them to start off with. So I said to both of them, I said, oh, you know what, honestly, and I was tongue in cheek saying, just so you know, if anything you said mattered in any way, I would have gotten angry. <laughs> <laughs> so whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord. What? You will receive an inheritance from the Lord as what? A reward. Wow. So even a slave having a good, sincere attitude and obedient heart to his uncaring master, working as unto the Lord because he is going to reward, get rewarded and his master won't. So, because God is just. But I, you know, I saw this for the first time in a different light. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward for what you did when you served in your secular job. Wow. If you were able to worship God with what you did in the secular or at home or as a grandmother, grandparent, you will receive your reward from the Lord if you do it as to Him. And then it ends with saying, 
It is the Lord Christ you serve, period. Amen. It is the Lord Christ you serve, period. So family, yes, you do receive a reward, an eternal reward from God based on how you drove that truck, based on how you made that lunch, that dinner, based on how you cleaned that bedroom again and the house again for the umpteenth time, how you cleaned your house, how you raised those children. We're doing it before God. Amen. Did you get something out of the Word?